The NBA season has just passed a two-week mark, and in this episode, me and my guy Sam Ferris, we're just going to talk about some of the rookies in this class. Sam is going to give his opinions on if it's a great class, who's standing out, and who's struggling. Stay tuned. Big shout out to each and every person that has made the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast your first listen of the day. And today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code Locked On. That is prizepicks.com, promo code Locked On. I'm your host, Rafael Barlow, with my co host, Sam Ferris. I'm the director of scouting for NBA Big Board and the founder of NBADraftJunkies.com, while Sam is the man behind the draft dummies, but he's no dummy by any means. Sam, what's going on, man? Doing well. Watching a lot of NBA, and it is the final week without college basketball. I think the season starts next Monday, so excited to talk rookies now, and then next week get more into the college basketball scene. So how is your life and your schedule going to change after monday um (laughs) it'll i think it'll mostly just switch from a lot of nba to more of a balance between nba and college and then i like to watch the film after on synergy and stuff as well so there's only so much i can catch every night um so I, i try to split it up but yeah it'll transition from all NBA to a lot more focused on college basketball starting next week. And don't forget, like with the announcement that, that came out today, it was actually two announcements earlier today, and we're recording on a Wednesday night. The G League Ignite will be on the NBA app, which some people are complaining about. I don't have any issues with my League Pass app, but some people are. And then OTE, Overtime Elite, will be on Amazon. Amazon. So it, it it's weird because – in years past, we only had to watch college basketball, and that was it. Yeah. <laughs> now yeah. you have to watch college basketball. Um, if, if you're interested in what Wimbenyama is doing, even though he's like a lock to be the first pick, you got to pay attention to what he's doing, especially if you're going to do podcasts and talk about the draft. <laughs> so uh-huh. you have Wimbenyama games on the app, Scoot games on, on, on the NBA app, Overtime Elite, and college basketball. And some people still have to try to watch or at least keep up with, with high school basketball. So it's uh, it, it's a lot of work being a, a scout. And that's why some people just kind of cover just a specific region, right? Yeah. And I think that that definitely simplifies it. But us at the Locked On Network, man, we're doing it all. <laughs> we, are, we are covering it all. All right, so let's talk about the NBA rookies. What were your thoughts on this class coming in to this season? And so far, even though it's very early, small sample size, are you surprised by any of the performances or any of the production from some of the players? So my thoughts on the class were that I had Chet number one, so I've been disappointed not to see him play this year, but I liked the top four Um, I did have Paolo third, and that's not looking ideal so far. Uh, Jabari Smith has been disappointing through two weeks. He might be a guy that we hit on later in the episode. Uh, I do (laughs) do 
I did like the top seven in this class, and uh, I had Benedict Matherin in that top seven. I had Shaden Sharp in that top seven, and I had Jalen Duren in that top seven. And so far, I think especially Matherin has looked fantastic, but I've liked what I've seen in smaller stints from those younger guys in Duren and Sharp as well. And so uh, my predictions for Rookie of the Year coming in were just like everyone else. I had Paolo one, and I think he's going to put up the numbers. He's going to put up the usage. He's the odds-on favorite. I had Matherin two, and he to me has been clearly the second best rookie so far. And then I had Keegan Murray third. And so I think that prediction is looking pretty good so far. Uh, where have you landed kind of on your early assessment? Well, I was big on Paolo all year. And mm-hmm. so uh, it's too early for a victory lap there, but I started up the victory lap when he was the number one pick and I'm not surprised by his performance. I I think that they, the passing is something that he didn't really show a lot of at Duke, but it was on his high school film. So he has shown, you know, be able to make plays as, as a playmaker. I've seen him use him as a point guard, seen him, you know, he's, it was like the, the ball handler throwing a lob. Um, I've actually had a chance to watch him twice, one preseason game and one regular season game. I'm not surprised by that at all. Uh, I was, Someone that, and I mean, you can go back to past episodes where I said I thought that Jabari Smith was going to really struggle early with, with his shooting. And I knew he would struggle, but I didn't know he would struggle this bad. After tonight's game, listen to these shooting splits. Yeah, I've, I've got my own bad stats too. So yeah. <laughs> 30.5 field goal percentage, 30.4 from three. And at least he's shooting like 89% from the foul line. But he's taking 11 shots a game and six or threes. So that is, on one hand, it's not surprising. I thought he would struggle, but I didn't think he, you know, his field goal percentage would look like a batting average. Yeah, Matherin, I was high on Matherin. I, I really was, but it was more so of a thing where I felt like if he does this, he could be this. And everything that I thought he could be, I'm not saying I, I figured, he, well, I put it like this, everything that I thought he could be as far as potential, adding different parts of his game, he has shown it. I, I thought at the very minimum, he was a safe pick, like your 3 and D type guy that's going to knock down 37, 38% from three at the minimum. But he's been a lot better than I thought. Uh, it, it's weird because the same things I, I thought about him is the same way I felt about Devin Vassell a few years ago. Mm-hmm. If he adds, you know, attacking the basket more and, and getting to the free throw line, then it opens everything up for him. Matherin has done that. And then Sharp has been impressive. I'm a Blazers fan, and he's actually doing on a team that's five and one right now. So I'm I'm pretty pleased with this class. And then Keegan Murray has has been solid. He's been about what I expected. Yeah, let me hit on the Jabari Smith, and then also on I have a few things on on Matherin as well because I like the points you made. But Jabari, I had a few of my own shooting stats that I had to get out there. Um, so on pull up twos this year, he's shooting only sixteen percent, which is really concerning because we loved the jumper at Auburn. And one of the things that I thought would translate was, you know, he's not ideal putting the ball in the deck. He's not a great athlete, but the one, two dribble pull-ups looked really good at Auburn. And then another thing he did was just faced up and shot over the top of smaller guys in college using that size and that shooting ability. But those shots, they haven't gone in only 16% on those pull-up twos. And 31% overall on twos is super concerning. So 
Um, if you look at the numbers with him, the only two things that he's really doing even decently well is the free throws that you mentioned, and then he is blocking shots. Um, but even then, like athletically, it's it's been even disappointing for me. I had Jabari Smith uh, number two on my board, and I, I really liked his potential to guard on the perimeter more so than be like a rim protector. I thought he could be a, a good cog in your defensive system that can move his feet, keep guys in front and be a good team defender. But that to me has been like kind of underwhelming where guarding inside, he's just getting pushed around by everybody. We know he's really young, so I'm not super worried about that, but more worrisome to me has been that like his switch ability, his ability to keep guys in front to me has looked worse, honestly, than I expected. It just, it, it hasn't been as good. And I kind of liked his potential as like, the high-end comp was like a taller clay where he's hitting shots at an elite level at that size but can really move his feet and so far the early returns and it's very early so i'm not i'm certainly not shutting the door by any means we've seen guys get off to slow starts but it has been very disappointing my last thing on him though is i I don't think steven silas is going to last that much longer to be honest i i don't think they really run much offense at all they don't really run anything for him and so I'd be interested to see him next to a point guard that can set him up more than a guy like KPJ and then an offense that actually runs some stuff. And so I just don't love where Houston's at right now on him. Um, and then just quickly on Matherin too, like you said, the shooting, the defense is what I bought into. But the stat that he's like blown out of the water so far is he's shooting 72 percent at the rim right now yeah and that matches the eye test like contact finishes where he's like contorting his body and just difficult shots it feels like he's making all of those when you watch the games and then you check the stats 72 percent at the rim like i don't think that's going to keep up but that's an awesome start and one thing that i like to say with young guys is especially for guards you know it'll take them a while for the game to slow down for them and one number i like to look at for that is usually it takes a while for their finishing at the rim to to rise up and to regulate and that's kind of in line with the game slowing down for them but for him right away like he's finishing super well at the rim and it doesn't hurt that he's also shooting 46 percent on above the break threes so it's really all working for matherin offensively right now yeah, I have a lot to add about Matherin, and I was looking at my notes on him prior to last year. So the notes that I had on him going into his sophomore year, and uh, I talk about that after I tell the audience about Prize Picks because Prize Picks is it's a daily fantasy made easy, and how it works is you pick two to five players, and you decide if they will score more or less than their Prize Picks projection, and you can win up to ten times your money on any entry. There is no competing against other people. It is just you versus the projections available. Prize Picks offers projections on any sport that you watch. NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, NHL, PGA. They even cover European basketball, boxing, MMA. I mean, it goes on. And the entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It is that easy, safe, and fast withdrawals. And it is currently operational in 30 states and Canada. So download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play Daily Fantasy Sports. Again, this is Daily Fantasy Sports made easy. 
And if you are a first-time user, you get 100% instant deposit match up to $100 if you use the promo code Locked On. That is L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. Again, if you deposit $100, Prize Picks will give you $100. If you deposit $50, Prize Picks will give you $50. So do not forget to use the promo code Locked On and sign up for instant deposit match up to $100. Once again, thank you so much for making the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast your first listen of the day. Shout out to the audience on YouTube that is always in the comments. I appreciate it. But for your second listen, check out the Locked On Sports today. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insight that only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports Today, it is available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcast. Once again, it's Rafael Barlow with my co-host Sam Ferris. We're just talking about the NBA rookies. We're at the two-week mark, and we left off talking about Benedict Matherin. All right, so coming into... His sophomore year, I had these different stats. Um, basically, I'm like, he has good positional size, good vertical athlete. Um, I felt like he had a, a basic game, and 70% of his shots as a freshman were um, jumpers in the half court. So in my notes that I had that I thought that in order for him to maximize his potential, he'd have to stop selling for jumpers, improve as a playmaker, become more of a north and south ball handler instead of, or I guess more of a downhill ball handler instead of east and west. And I felt like he did not attack the rim off the dribble and he settled for too many threes in transition. So those are my notes. And I think that he has addressed a lot of the concerns that, that I had because even though as a freshman, he was efficient around the rim. I, I don't have the, the numbers in front of me, but it was more like it was, he was efficient because he got a lot of points off offensive rebounds and cuts. It wasn't like he was driving to the basket. And he's addressed a lot of those concerns. So I think the sky's the limit. And if if you're the Pacers, like how much longer do you keep him on the bench? I know that's it's interesting because Chris Duarte is kind of like a similar player, but Matherin's clearly the better prospect long term and and younger, younger. yeah, younger, <laughs> yeah. Um, one other interesting thing that I predicted in the preseason was that Benedict Matherin would break the rookie record for threes in a season, and I I thought it was an interesting prediction because that record is like one of the more breakable records in sports just because yeah. of the number of threes that people take now. So yeah. Donovan Mitchell has that record and Benedict Matherin's on pace right now. So that's going to be kind of something interesting that I'll be following. But last thing on Matherin is just the guy has so much confidence. He just oozes self-confidence. And there was one game... Uh, I don't know, probably like a week ago where he finally was having a bad shooting start to the game. I think he was like 0 for 7, second half, third quarter. He comes out, he goes like 6 for 6 in the third quarter, does not stop shooting. The confidence never wanes for him. He just goes at people now. And so uh, I've been really excited from what I've seen from him. Yeah, man. I mean, it's 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 definitely refreshing to see a prospect that you had all these concerns about and then you see them address the concerns in such a short time. And I mean, he's it, I mean, it's going to be a two man race 
Nah, again, it's still early. But right now, it just seems like it's going to be a two-man race. Keegan Murray can get in, in, in the mix. But I wanted to go back to, to Jabari Smith. My comp for him was Rashard Lewis. Not a knock on Rashard Lewis. But I've always thought, like, I'm not taking Rashard Lewis number one. Mm-hmm. And even though I think Rashard Lewis was, I mean, he, I think he was like a $100 million player. He was very valuable in Orlando. He'd probably be more valuable in today's game than he was when he played. But to me, that's that's not a number one guy. And my biggest concern with him is, and I've said it thousands of times last year, was for my guy that I'm taking number one, I want him to be able to create his own shot. I want him to be able to be somebody that at the end of the shot clock, I can give the ball to say, hey, get out the way, and he go get us one. And that was my biggest concern about, about Jabari. And I felt like the one dribble pull-ups were very predictable, in college, you knew if you crowded him, he was going to be able to rise up over the top of guys and, and shoot. And I think um, he just doesn't have those same advantages. Now, I, I definitely feel like the shooting is going to come along. He's definitely not going to be a 30-30 guy on, yeah. on the shooting splits. But uh, another point that you made that I agree with is the the point guard situation in Houston. And when they resign Porter Jr., it doesn't seem like it's going to change anytime soon so that's not going to benefit him but i'm also a guy that feels like tari eason should play more minutes he's productive you know i think if you give tari eason 25 to 30 minutes a game he's going to be a double double guy and i don't like the politics of the nba sometimes and i I get why it has to happen it's kind of why i lean towards european basketball in a sense because even though european basketball doesn't really cater to young guys by any means I think the NBA is like, because the Rockets don't have any incentive to really win right now, they are not going to do anything with guys that are struggling. I think if this was like a European model, right, where the worst team gets demoted, I think Tari Eason will play more minutes. Mm -hmm. And what are your thoughts on on the Eason-Jabari dynamic? Because I tweeted in a fair totally fair open uh not necessarily tryout but open training camp i thought eason would win a starting job yeah yeah i mean whatever you word you want to call it whether it's politics but the thing is that the rockets invested a top four a top three pick and so if they were to sit him down they would be essentially like giving up or making their own decision look bad. And so few people in the NBA in management are willing to give up on their pick and kind of admit a mistake, a sunk cost, as you might call it, and move on. Now, it's too early for sure to call Jabari Smith a sunk cost. However, to your point, I do think that in an open training camp right now, if they were trying to maximize their results right now, Tari Eason would be the guy that would get more of the minutes and win the job because he's more productive right now. Like similar thing. I'm a Warriors fan. I watch a lot of their games because they drafted James Wiseman. Number two, they are force feeding him a ton of minutes and he is killing them in in a similar way that Jabari Smith is. Um, But you just don't see you. You don't see organizations um, admit their mistakes and move on quickly enough. I believe in the NBA with a guy like Wiseman, I would move on, but a guy like Jabari Smith, it's still really early. Uh, But I did want to talk about Tari Eason to your point, because I'm a fan of his game. 
he's been awesome. And the, the most refreshing thing about him is just the energy and intensity that he plays with when he comes in the game. You can see it on the film if you watch it. Like, if there's a loose ball, if there's a 50-50 ball, for Tari Eason, it's, it's a 90-10 <laughs> yeah. ball. Like, he's, yeah. he's winning those. And so I just wrote down a few stats of some hustle stats where 11% offensive rebound rate for a wing, which is elite. He leads all rookies in deflections, even though he doesn't even play that much. And just tons of blocks and steals. So all the athletic and energy stats or rates that you look at meet the eye test. He just provides a ton of energy. Now, he, he's got a way to go in terms of, like, the offensive game is still raw. He's still got a little bit of hitch in the jumper. and It's going in, though. It is going in. <laughs> he's making it more than Jabari Smith so far. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I would play him more. I think he is... I'm a Shangun believer. He had a really good game today. But outside of Jalen Green, Shangun, and Jabari, he's their best prospect long term. I think he provides a defensive and an athletic presence on the wing that they're going to need next to a guy like Shangun as well. And so I'd like to see him play a little bit more as well. Yes, he needs more minutes. All right. When we return, I want to get Sam's thoughts on Jaden Ivey and the Jaden Ivey and Cade Cunningham backcourt. And then I want to touch a little bit on Johnny Davis's <laughs> lack of playing time. Stay tuned. All right. Once again, you're listening to the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast. This is your host, Rafael Barlow, with my co-host, Sam Ferris. We are covering some of the rookies since the season is about two weeks old. Again, these takes are very up to the minute these takes are not our long-term thoughts it is just basically what we've seen over the last two weeks nobody has called Jabari a bust <laughs> nobody has said that he you know whatever we're just going off of what we see and mm -hmm. um, you know this is our opinion and that's why I love the Lockdown Network because we're allowed to to share our opinions all right so now I want to get Sam's opinion on Jaden Ivey and even though, like, the Pistons have – I mean, they've been competitive. I didn't think that they were a team that was going to be really good, and I definitely thought that they would be better than, like, the Jazz and the Spurs. Uh, <laughs> what has your thought been on the Ivy and Cunningham mix? It seems like the first few games, Cade was kind of struggling a little bit. Maybe it was just, you know, just – a, a, a bad series of games but now he's definitely turned it on but Detroit is two and seven what are your thoughts on Ivy and, and the Kate Cunningham backcourt yeah I still really like the fit I'm not too worried about their record right now but in terms of Ivy's stats 16 four and four to start the season on 46 percent overall 35 percent from three and then a couple stats digging into the data he is first among rookies in drives per game and first among rookies in paint touches uh, among guards. So Which, not surprising. No, no, exactly <laughs> in line with, with what you would expect. And what I think he's done well when I've had a chance to watch their games, I think he's done well generally as a cutter playing off the ball mm -hmm. opportunistically, and that's going to be key playing off of Cade. And, and so he's getting to the rim. He's getting those dunks. Uh, the three is at 35%. That's going to come and go. That's going to be streaky throughout the year for him. I'm not really worried too much about that. And 35% for now is good. Yep. But I think he's been right in line with my expectations. I was 
high on him. I had him clearly as the number four guy in this class. I thought Sacramento clearly also made a mistake passing on him. And I think he's been in line with my expectations, if not even slightly better. Again, 16-4 and 4, those numbers are good. And I think the fit next to Cade has been what I expected so far. What about you? Exactly what I expected. Even though I think that Ivy's best long-term position is as a primary okay. ball handler. I think mm-hmm. he is best when he's... I mean, he's best when he has the ball in his hands as opposed to playing off the ball, which I think Cade is better suited to play off the ball because he's a better shooter. But Cade is a better ball handler or or better decision maker, better passer. So I I think it's a very interesting fit. It's a fit that I would have tried out also if I was Detroit because they needed an upgrade in athleticism. And Ivy is going to be more productive than the Killian Hayes, which it seems like he's Killian yeah. Hayes' confidence is just absolutely gone. absolutely gone and destroyed. He may need a change of scenery just to start all over. And then if that doesn't change, I mean, we're talking about a guy that could be could be out of the league soon, which is not far out of the question. I mean, I did some research recently. I mean, you look at Josh Jackson, what, the fourth pick or something like that, 2017, he's out the league. Emmanuel Moutier was seventh pick in 15, he's out the league. And then you go on the Okafors and, and all of that. So it, it's not shocking that a guy that's selected in the top 10 could be out of the league <laughs> before he turns like 25 but yeah. but yeah i mean I, I think if i was detroit i would have made the same pick but the fit is i mean they're gonna have time to grow but i think that on one hand the more ball handlers and passers you have it, it works out but then on the other hand i feel like I just think Ivy is is best as as a primary, especially if you compare him to Westbrook. You don't want to put Westbrook off the ball. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, sounds like you're a little lower on the fit. And what's what's kind of interesting, though, is because I would have said as well that Cade is kind of what's ideal about him as a prospect coming in was he was equally as effective playing on as off the ball because he was such a good shooter in college. But what's weird is so far in the NBA, he he's not making threes, but he's making a ton of mid-range pull-ups on the ball. Um, and so that is kind of why he seems to be settling is settling in is just primarily on the ball. And so I, I would love to see him start making threes as well, because what intrigued me most about him was as a prospect, the combination of being able to play on the ball with the passing and the creation, but also the shooting off the ball at that size, plus the defense, which I think he's underrated by some. He's a really good defensive player at six foot six. So that whole package, but because the jumper, especially off the catch from three, hasn't really been a strength yet, he's been more relegated to straight on ball. And so that's something that I would like to see change hopefully over the course of the next season is is that jumper from three start to go in the mid-range stuff has been awesome though so that's a good starting point but that's kind of something that i've noticed watching over the last year or so of pistons basketball all right answer this question for me would matherin have been a better fit in detroit and ivy a better fit in indiana so coming into the draft i well even pre-draft, I said that Ivy next to Halliburton was one of my favorite fits because just the athleticism of Ivy next to the skill and shooting of Halliburton and Halliburton doesn't necessarily get into the paint a ton either. So they really, 
um, play off each other's strengths and complement each other well. Um, but I still prefer Ivy overall as a prospect, though I think Matherin's closed the gap, not just during the regular season, but preseason he was awesome. Summer League Matherin was fantastic as well. And so I guess, especially with Cade dominating the ball a lot, you could say he's the better fit, and I would love to see Ivy uh, in Indiana as well. But I think both of them are in good spots right now. Um, so I think you could make a fair argument either way with that one. I think I'm going to pose that question on Twitter yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. All right, Johnny Davis. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even is, have this. This is sad. I haven't yeah. even looked at the stats um, <laughs> because I saw it was – once I saw he was like two for 19 or, or two for 21 or something like that in, in the preseason, I knew like he was going to be collecting a lot of D and PCDs. Are you surprised? Like, I mean, even like the biggest Johnny Davis critic probably didn't expect this. Yeah. <laughs> what are your thoughts on – on Johnny Davis from what you've seen and not only just the summer league and preseason, what, what are your thoughts and how does he turn it around? Yeah, it's been a worst case outcome for sure. And similar to what you said about Killian Hayes, I feel like he's just very much in his own head right now. When you watch him, the confidence isn't there. It feels like everything's moving way too quickly for him. And so it's just gotten to into his own head and it's kind of snowballed in that way, I think mentally for him but i think the shortcomings for him have shown up where he's he he was a good athlete in college because of his strength and kind of similar to what we've seen with jalen suggs though suggs is just a better player overall the similar weaknesses where they relied on their strength and kind of overpowering college players um he's not able to overpower guys at six foot five in the nba the handle isn't where it needs to be. The jumper, he's lost confidence in it. He was better as a pull-up guy in college anyway, and he's just not really able to get to that shot in the NBA. And so it's been a worst-case scenario that's pretty much all snowballed on him at this point. Now he's really not playing. I'd expect him to play in the G League, but I mean, I'd be interested to know if any player has ever gotten off to this poor of a start and actually ended up succeeding in the NBA because it's it's getting late really, really early for him. Yeah. Yeah, man, I'm torn on how the Wizards handled this, right? So just going to the G League, does it help or hurt? On one hand, you say, all right, go see the ball go in, go play, get your 30 minutes a game. It's the G League. Winning isn't supposed to be the main focus. So you you just say, hey, we're sacrificing these these games for you to mm -hmm. go get your confidence, see the ball go in. But then, like from my experience working in the G League, I'm trying to think, I remember one year when I was in the G League, the Grizzlies sent Hashim to beat down, and social media at that time wasn't like it is today. But it became a huge story as like the highest draft pick to get sent down to the G League. And his confidence was absolutely destroyed. And then I can't remember which Morris twin it was, but the one that was drafted by Houston. Uh, so I guess it was Marcus. Markeith was playing in Phoenix. Marcus, I think, got sent down to the RGV Vipers. And it just totally messed him up because he was, I think, if they if they weren't lottery picks, it was like 14, 15 or something like that. 
And at the time, that was a high draft pick to to be sent down to the G League. And at the time, it also was the D League, and it had more so of a negative connotation than it does now. And shortly after that, they ended up making the trade and sending him to Phoenix. So I wonder, like, if if you send Davis down to the to the go go, and now that's a story, right? <laughs> now it turns yeah. into Wizards draft top ten. He's you know yada 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 playing in the go go, and then if he has one bad shooting game in the go go. The first game, it, it could be really bad there. So it, it's tough because you have to balance out getting him playing time, but at the same time, making sure that you know his confidence isn't destroyed. So what what would you do if you are the Washington? No, you you make a really good point. That is, his confidence is already seemingly shot. So if you send him down. And he has a few bad games, especially with the social media that you said aspect of it now. If he has a few bad games there, then his confidence might be pretty much irreparable at that point. And you might lose him like this soon. So I think that's a really interesting point because a lot of people just say, yeah, give him the ball, let him go play in the G League. Well, if that doesn't go well, then you've really double messed up, right? So yeah, I, I, I get that. I totally get that point. I don't know and, what you do though, because it's like this is like the worst performance ever for a, a lottery prospect to this point. I mean, there's you know there's Anthony Bennett, and I mean you got Hashim to beat, who I think his best season was his rookie year. He averaged like three points a game. But I don't want to, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to put Davis in that in that category this early. But I, I do think the G League is kind of tricky because let's say he does go there and he plays well, but he plays well playing the way that he played in Wisconsin that mm-hmm. still doesn't, I mean, they got him <laughs> where he was at, yeah. but that's not the role that he's going to play with the wizards. And just from my experience in the G league, I used to see it all the time where there are these guys that were like these big time scorers that put up huge numbers in the G league. And that wasn't going to be their role in the NBA. Some guys only thrive as the primary. I remember there was a guy I watched and I sat next to a, uh, a GM at the time, and he was looking at somebody else. He wasn't paying attention to this guy that was a high draft pick that was scoring 30 points a game. And he says to me, he's only passed the ball four times. So, yes, the numbers look good. He's looking like the guy that he was in college. He's looking like the guy that everybody's like, yeah, this is why, you know, he he needs a call. He needs more minutes. But he's like, that's not going to be his role. And so I wonder, like, with Johnny Davis, if you send him down to the go-go, what is the role? Is it just to hey get your confidence up, score? But he's not going to get what twenty shots a game if he's with the Wizards. He's still going to be he's going to play off the ball <laughs> if he's on the court with yeah. Bill, and that's yeah. not his greatest strength. So it'll be an interesting decision. Well, thank you so much for listening. Shout out to you, Sam, for for coming on, always providing great insight. And again, I have so much appreciation for the audience and for making this Locked On NBA Big Board podcast your first listen of the day and also a success. But check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast. Again, it's the biggest stories of the day, plus the instant reactions, the big game recaps, and the take of the day. It is available on Odyssey, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast. Once again, Rafael Barlow with my co-host Sam Ferris. We are out.